Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another exciting episode of Live from Nerdville. Today, I'm broadcasting from Nerdville, Gotham, in New York City, and my special guest is the one, the only, one of my favorite guitar players on the scene, one of my favorite discoveries in the last 10 years, Mr. Daniel Donato. Thank you very much for being here. It's a real honor to have you. I can't believe you're saying that. I mean, that means the absolute world to me. Thank you so much. It's an immense honor to be here. I'm live from the Cosmic Country Cottage. Well, that's, I like the branding, Daniel. You're, you're, you're getting in on it. You know, I'm, I'm wearing three la la layers of Nerdville merch, most, most of it because I, I charge it back to myself. So, you know, I remember when I first heard you, you know, and, you know, like sometimes, you know, like for years, I, I messed with the flat picking thing and I was, I, I was mentored and I had guitar lessons from a guy named Danny Gatton. And, but I, nice shirt, vintage one. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and I, I get to a certain point where I can convince people for about 45 seconds that I know what the hell I'm doing. The first time I heard you, it floored me because your ideas and your timing have this infinite capability and range yeah. where you're able to syncopate over very fast tempos and also speed up, slow down all in time, which is incredibly incredibly difficult to do. And the last person I saw that had that, that ability to do it was Danny. So tell me, I mean, like, how does a guy who starts off, and I read this in your bio, messing around with Guitar Hero 15 years later become one of the premier pickers in Nashville? We'll open up with that. Thank you. I mean, that's uh, astoundingly uh, very kind. So the way that Guitar Hero happened was I was trying to figure out who I was and still am. And uh, all my friends skateboarded and I was really bad at skateboarding. But my house had the Guitar Hero and my mom made Hot Pockets for us every day after school was over. So we would get off the bus and then we would go to my house and we would play Guitar Hero for a couple hours. And then we would go try to skateboard. Right. Somewhere down the line, I started listening to all the music that was in Guitar Hero. And then something happened where one day I went on my dad's hard drive. And uh, I was looking through thumbnails of albums that he had on there. And it was mm -hmm. Appetite for Destruction. Ah. And I'm just like, man, what? that was the first piece of album art that really affected me just from seeing it. Right. Um, which is, you know, it, it might be a lost art. Might not be as we move into this age. But uh, I turned on the song Paradise City. And it was this really country twangy sounding thing, but it had all this gusto of rock to it. And that's right. what got me in. And I don't know if you can relate to this, but there was something that happened where I listened to it and I saw myself playing it. And that was the first time I ever had a vision of, right. of myself with music. I ever saw myself actually playing it. And at the time we had iPod shuffles. Mm -hmm. So I clipped the first uh, 57 seconds of the song. And I would just listen to that first 57 seconds on the way to school every day. And I started picking up guitar. And my dad always tried to get me to play. My dad, unlike your dad, played guitar. But he never, it never invaded his life into where it was a part of his profession or it was never lucrative right. in any sense. Right. Um, so he, he, he basically had guitars around the house. So you were able to crossfade from, from literally the video game to go... Okay, now I actually I'm so into this music and so into the guitar itself. You actually had opportunity to just pick one up and start. Yeah, he always what, tried to get me to play. What was what was the first what was the first real guitar you played? What was the one that you gravitated to in your dad's uh, you know stable? 
Great. Yeah, so my dad had two guitars. My dad had a, a Vantage acoustic, which is a very interesting uh, offset brand, which some right. of them sound good and some of them don't. It's like those yeah, old Yamaha acoustics, you know? Yeah, yeah like the, the, the Japanese off-brand stuff from the late 70s, early 80s was, was, is very great, underrated, very reasonably priced guitars. Very much so. Very yeah. much so. That guitar was a lot for me, and I always used to like pop my balloons on the on the t on the string cuts. Right. Uh, I never liked that guitar. I still hate that guitar. And then uh, he had this uh, really bad uh, '97 Strat right. that was uh, just really bulky and really lacquered up, and it had like these custom shop pickups in them that were like Stevie Ray Vaughan Texas Specials right. that were cool, but I never really liked it. But he got me a uh, a Squire Strat that fit my body. Right. Uh, when I was younger, and he always tried to get me to play, and I never liked it. And it always sat in the living room that my sister and I shared. And one day after I saw myself playing that in my head, I went to the living room, and I got it, and I tried to figure it out. And I tried to show my dad that I wanted to learn it, and at first he was kind of resilient. And he's like, I'm not really sure if you're going to if you're gonna do this. But, you know, a day later, he was all about it, and he's still, right. like, my biggest supporter to this day. But you, you started the – what age were you, about 12 – when you 12. started for, for, for real. But by the time you were 16, you had already been on stage. You were, yeah. you were out in Nashville, which, yeah. by the way, ladies and gentlemen, one of the, one of the, just like saying I was born and raised in Los Angeles, saying, having someone say I was born and raised in Nashville is very rare these days because there's, yeah. so, many, there's so many, you know, carpetbaggers like myself. Um, <laughs> so, you know, so you, with, you became very good within three or four years. Like, when did you realize that, that you had this accelerated ability to obviously hear stuff, play it back, you had the coordination, you had the timing? I mean, because you were on stage with, uh, with Don Kelly by the time you were like, what, 16 or 17 years old? 17, yeah. It's when I saw it. So at 14, I, every kid says to themselves, not at whatever age, I want to be the best guitar player ever, which whatever that means, right? But I had seen you... It all happened very fast. It happened in like a three-month span. I saw you at uh, TPAC. Okay, thank and you. Then, yeah, absolutely. And I saw J.D. Simo, mm -hmm. and I discovered country music. Right. And I, I played on stage the first time. And it all happened very fast. And now, I said was to myself, J.D. in uh, Don's band at the time? Because yeah. he, he did that gig. Now, see, for those, the backstory, Don Kelly... Um, who, who I think uh, is recently a, a retiring. He's finally retiring. Everyone knows this. I don't get how. Everyone and, knows. And, and Don has been a Nashville staple for years. And Don is basically what you would call the John Mayall and the Blues Breakers of Nashville. He's been responsible for discovering great guitar players for years. J.D. Simon, you were in the band. And, and it's this trial by fire type of type of gig because you're doing what five six nights a week oh. long sets you, long set. big, you, you got a big set list he likes to throw the solos around and you get good quick or you get out quick <laughs> and so that's the backstory i mean on don kelly and, and, and he's and sadly he's retiring because it was to me it's like you could set your watch for a few things in nashville you know it's and and and, and i i really love that guy but uh when you got his gig you know and 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 you were like okay you get the song list, yeah. you get everything. What was it like the very first time when it was, you weren't sitting in, you weren't, you weren't hanging around? Because I know you gave Don your business card every time, every time he would come out. Every week. Right. Every and, week, every Saturday. Which I love the tenacity. What was that like? 
the first time, okay, you show up to it was Roberts, and 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 you basically go, well, there's where my amp's going to go. It's not somebody else's amp; it's your amp. Oh wow! And this is my state. This is my part of the stage, and this is this is my indoctrination into this world. I mean, like that because that's all coming together pretty quickly for you. What was it like the very first gig? Going, holy crap! This is my gig now. Yeah, my God, it was a. Uh... It was two things simultaneously. And I'm very much in the same headspace today as I was, where right. uh, I was very humbled and very grateful, but that only inspired me to work harder. And so when I got there, I knew I was deserving of it. Right. Right. I'm sure yeah. as, as you feel when you achieve things. Um, but it was literally like a superpower because I disrespected the culture of what that band was. And that band to me was the first country band that jammed. Right. And, and so it was just everything in the world. It was the first time I'd seen a guitar player close to me. I'd only seen, you know, performing arts centers and I'd been to a Motley Crue concert at Bridgestone Arena, which is not my scene. And so to right. see a guitar player that close to me, there's actually a video of it on YouTube of me watching JD the first time and I'm in tears. Yeah. I am, I am combusting. I am, it is so emotionally perplexing. And so a couple years later, I get the gig and I get to do that. And so at very first, I was very analogous to what JD was doing. But about 30 gigs in, about a month in, um, I started doing my own thing. And then right. it just caught fire on the whole city. And everyone I know today and it, how it stretches outward still is all vibrations from what was happening at that time. And I did 464 shows there at five hours a night. That's see, that's going to get you um, that's going to get you the gig chops. That's 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 good trial by you know, that's good trial by fire. You know, one of the things that I do find um, that Nashville does uh, still have that is wasn't that, that has been kind of marginalized over the years since I started in the, yeah. in the 80s is the farm system. Now, you were able to back when I started make your way across the country. There were gigs not even, you know, your local town, there was tons of gigs. If you wanted to hustle down the gigs, you could play five nights a week, four sets a night. And that makes you good because it just by sheer experience on stage, you can spend all day long in your room. You spend all day long at rehearsal. The minute you, you do one show, it's like 10 rehearsals all, all together. And Nashville has that, you have that ability to where like, now whether you going to end up playing that kind of music or not or whatever but you have the dexterity and the chops and then the palette of music that you have to learn is so diverse what did you when did you decide that i want to not just be a sideman i want to be daniel donato a solo artist and come up with this thing cosmic country because i think when i first started to see it, I thought it was very clever. I, lo I, I loved all the green screen videos and, and how, how you put everything together. Because again, you have your own lane. When was that, when was that crossfade? When was the conscious decision to go, I'm, I'm gonna be a solo artist and put myself out there? I got fired. Okay, well then there's, yeah, necessity got, mother of the invention, right? I got fired, I got fired from Roberts over a, a very odd misunderstanding that I've, we've since, Everyone realized that it was simply a misunderstanding and we're all good now. But at the time I got fired because someone who looked like me was doing drugs out behind Roberts and it was someone who worked there. And uh, he's since fired. Anyway, I, I ended up. Uh, that's, I, I know. That's, that's a hell of a way to lose a gig. It was my brainchild, too. Like it, I was I um, 
which is a weird thing to do with music, which you seem to do a fantastic job of, which is being able to compartmentalize. Like you, I remember infamously, it was very profound to me when you told me there's the man in the suit. Yeah. And that to me is the most successful place you can arrive at in life is to where you could have all of that happening on stage and then zip it shut for the night and then go away. I wasn't able to do that. And I'm still learning how to, but, um, at the time that was all I was, it was me on that stage. And so when I got let go from that, it made me very sad. And, um, I started writing songs of it because of it. And Sturgill Simpson came out with metamodern sounds and country music that year, which is an unbelievable record full of amazing telecaster playing. Have you heard that record? Yeah, I've heard the record. I, I, I like Sturgill's stuff. I, I, um, I particularly liked him when he was busking outside of the Bridgestone Arena during the, the CMAs. I thought that was the greatest thing, you know, because um, I, I bust outside of um, the Beacon Theater when we played it for the first time. Made no money. I mean, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, it's not just I'm going to play well. You gotta have you gotta have your you gotta have your your busking chops up, you know. <laughs> so tell me about the Grateful Dead influence on your music because I hear it. I hear. Wow, thank you. I, I I hear it in the way you put arrangements together. I hear it in the way you play. I love the fact that you kind of do the Jerry kind of tones, you know, with the phaser and and you know, because that's not that's not um, often. You know, uh, th- those two worlds don't often collide, like flat picking and 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 the Grateful Dead. Even though Jerry was a was you know he could write some of the best country music you've ever heard, but it but it really doesn't happen very often. When how did those two worlds com- meet? I've always been a person who identified serendipity, and um, the thing about serendipity is you can take it or leave it, right? It doesn't belief is belief. It doesn't matter if it's actually factual. I was sixteen or seventeen. And uh, there was a history teacher of mine, Mr. Ragland. And right. uh, he was a very great teacher. He stood up with his back straight, dressed in a suit every day. He was ready for class. And he made sure everyone did a good job and was engaged. And one day he came to see me play. And I didn't know. Because Roberts has a front entry. And then historically, uh, behind the Ryman, which you've, you've played many right. times, you could literally walk out and go into Roberts if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah exactly. And- it's right out the back of the stage door is where Roberts is. Yeah. Insane. And and, and, it, and by the way, it smells wonderful back there. <laughs> it, 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 it smells wonderful, especially in the summertime after the 4th of July. Can't get, it doesn't get any better than that. It's, it's like tulips in, in Holland. Honky-tonk tulips. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he came in, and I didn't know. And he, unbeknownst to me, and the next day, I, he in the middle of class... It was literally like, then Pocahontas did this, and then he stopped his sentence, and he's like, Donato, see right. me after class. And then he went on with his, with his session, and right. everyone was like looking at me as if I did something wrong. I was a very anxious, quiet guy. I would wake up before school and, and practice two hours, and I would practice during lunch, and so I was very much in my own world because I knew what I wanted to do. Right. And um, he gave me all these binders that were about this high, and it was all cds and he goes i need you to listen to these and never bring them back to me wow it was right when i started driving and so it was me and my mom's 2004 toyota corolla and then in the passenger seat where a girlfriend should have gone i had all these grateful dead cds that i was turning in and, and, and listening to with no one which i remember you recalling on the saturdays you used to listen to like thick as a brick with your father exactly you were 
you were just listening to music from a place of no one telling you what to listen for. You're right. just a novice, right? You're a tourist. Right. And so the first song I put on was a song called Big River, which is a Johnny Cash song, which we played right. every night at Roberts. Right. And so I'm hearing the Grateful Dead play a Johnny Cash song that I've played a hundred times. Right. And so I instantly was hooked and I instantly was told that you can jam country music, that you can right. take country music that's normally three minutes and make it nine. Yeah, ex exactly. It's, it's the same thing you do with the blues and the same thing with like, um, yeah. What, how do you run, how do you, um, well, I mean, you could choose to engage them or not. I mean, how, how is your relationship with the purists? Because sometimes when you try to do different things or amalgamate different styles or, or go left with a song, you get that, well, that's not real country music or that's not, you know, or that's not, you know, you're, you're, you're not the real deal. It's not authentic. I mean, do you, do you just go, I don't care. I'm just going to do what I do because it's, it's, yeah. it's yeah. Or do you, do you let it seep in? Cause I know there's some cats out there that just, even though they put up the big brick wall and they say, oh, I don't really care. They look at all the comments, you know, and, then, and, and then, and then you, and then you see them like try to skew it to where they want to be celebrated by the, the loud minority as opposed to the silent majority that actually just likes what they do. You, honestly, man, you're a you're a lighthouse for me in regards to answering that because you've been an artist that, for for two reasons, where you've you've lived through your change, where like you every year you change, and so you put right. out a new collection of music that therefore changes. Right. And what that does is that that signals to people that if you like me, then you're gonna, and if you like me next year and you like me the year after that, then you're my real fans. You're the people right. that I I'm actually making music for. And so those are the people I'm always trying to cater to. So um, just the other day, someone said, this guy looks like Tom Holland. This isn't country music. And he's a bad singer. And I'm like, that's okay. Like, I don't care at all. Like, it doesn't get to me. I also think guitar playing is very fascinating where it's heritage versus progression. Right. And you walk an amazing line on doing that. My dad's always done software. So the concept of, he does integrations technology. So the concept of things exponentially growing and changing on a weekly basis to me is ingrained in the way I operate. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, one of the things I always tell people is, yeah. is I'd rather be loved or hated. Yeah. The first thing you could ever say to me, it's like, hey, did you like that gig? It was okay. It's average. Oh, that is the worst. That is worse than saying, I hate Joe Bonamassa, hashtag fuck Joe Bonamassa. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like that, that, I can, that I can get down with because I've, 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 been, I've, I've created a, a visceral event <laughs> on, 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 on one side or on the other side. But lukewarm water doesn't do it for me. No, you know? me neither. And it's funny because it seems like the guitar with a finite amount of notes and a finite amount of frets, unless you want to keep adding to them, um, is probably one of the most argued about mediums, instruments in the, in, you know, in, 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 in modern times. It really you know, is. Where people just go, well, I, I prefer the way so-and-so does it versus the other person and just and go, it's all good. They obviously put in the work. They don't see it like that. They see it as like this butting of heads competition. And now that, that anytime you want to sit in with anybody, the first thing that they bring out is this. And then they're going to judge you 
put it online and judge you. I was like, how do you navigate through all of that? Do you just go, like, because at, at this point, it's like, if somebody goes, hey, comes up with something cool, and then they do a 30-second bit of it, and like, oh, you know, Daniel Donato schools so-and-so. It's like, well, yeah, it, it was, wasn't about that on stage because you weren't there, and it's out of context. What do you think about that? I think context is the thing that is losing right now. I think context is the thing that people are not getting. And that's where the court of public opinion starts to win. And I had a great uh, resolution with context this year where um, there's a lot of guitar players on Instagram that have, you know, 10 times as many followers as me. And I, I definitely compare myself to others a lot just because I've yet to actually hit that pillar of success where I'm just, I'm very satisfied with something, you know, so I'm still doing that thing where I'm like, what do they got going on? But this year we did a thing at NAMM with Fender and uh, right. a, a media company known as Jam Card. And they right. do these um, events where the crowd is circular around the energy that. of the band. Yeah, it's yeah. very cool. Kenny Wayne was involved with that. Kenny Wayne Shepherd and and I I saw him do that. I saw I saw the one you did. It was like it was like it was like almost like being on Jules Holland with the audiences around you in a circle. That would be the coolest thing in the world to be on. He's a great guy. But um, yeah, so continue. Sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, So they brought out some of these guitar players who are Instagram guitar players. And I instantly learned that, oh, the hours I've put in on stage, like no one's taking that away from me. Because when I'm in a room that is the ultimate analog audience, not this new digital audience that people think looks cool when you have 90,000 of them. Right. If you can't actually engage with them in the analog sense, then you're not going to convert. And then you're on a, You're not going to generate any real experience. And the thing that happens, which you consistently prove, which you've told me many times, which is the guitar is a human thing. And so if you're doing it in a human-based environment, that's where all the magic happens. And so I think context... That's absolutely things people are losing now where they're, 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 t- they're saying these musicians are incredible musicians, but they're incredible for that one platform. If you put them live, it, it wasn't the same thing and there wasn't a connection there. So I get scared when people say they want to be like Instagram guitar players. I'm like, I don't know if you know what that really means. Well, to me, it's being a, a you know, and it is important in the context of marketing yourself. It's crucial. But, but I always say, Playing on stage is a contact sport, okay? It is totally a contact sport because you are, you are dealing with variable parts and people. And to, to be able to go out there and go, okay, well, that drummer's hitting really hard. How am I going to get hurt? Where the dynamics lie, how you're going to impact the audience on an emotional level. Are you going to pin them back in their seats or are you going to like let them come forward there's all these different things that come about you know in real time that you learn on stage sitting there on a phone in 2d is different because you don't have the other people around you you don't have this call and response between your bandmates and the audience and it and it is difficult and it's also difficult to navigate through the sonics of it going well i have this really gigantic sound well wait till the kick drum starts you know you know and wait till the snare drum starts you know you just keep eating the lime out there one of the things i want to ask you is um what's your best gig what's your dream gig my dream gig is to sell the rhyme okay hometown hero hometown kid does well in the mother church it's great right it's the archetype but you got to shoot for something Absolutely, um, dude. It's it's a honestly, it was a bucket list gig for me for 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 
for years until I did it the first time. I, I predict it is 2020, let's say after the extended break, it all comes back. My prediction is between 2023 and 2024, you'll sell it out. That's, oh, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm gonna go on record. I'm gonna give you the 365 day leeway to, to, to do that between 2023 and 2024. I think it would be the greatest thing in the world to see because Thank you've been you. the, the hard work. What's your best gig you've done so far? Best gig I've done so far was this year. Okay, good. It was at the Poor House. It was on. Um, it was on a February thirteenth uh, at uh, in in Raleigh, and right. uh, we sold out. Great. And uh, it was just the best gig I've ever done. It was. Uh, it was being given the responsibility to be somebody's Friday night. Right. And to fulfill that and to tell a story and to just do the play music. And it, it was so fun. It really was. Also, uh, probably, probably the first gig at Roberts was also one of my best gigs. I look at it as different versions of myself, which seeing the new, um, a new day now of what you're putting out, right? Which right. was a, a new day yesterday, which is so, so smart. I was so cool. I was like, well, that's a different Joe. Like, that's a Joe with. Right, Joe, I bet, you know, it's Joe with a different caloric intake on a daily basis. Yeah. It's Joe with different intentions and mm -hmm. Joe with a lot of hours. And so the gigs vary in, re in regards to what their best ones were. Yeah, you know, I, um, one of the things, uh, I, what I love about live playing is you always start at zero the next day. Like, if you have a good Tuesday night, you were great, you know. And I always say to our band, I said, look out. Because after the best gig, you know, like like we get off stage, we're like, man, we really killed it tonight, right? And the 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 show afterwards, you think it's just a no-brainer. We'll just keep riding the wave. Nope, there's always a dip. There's always a dip. But do you ever find that the gigs that you think are your best, the fans that have seen you 20 times, I'm like, ah, oh, you were you were a little off tonight. And then the ones you go, I want to pay all these. I'm going to give them their money back now because th th this is. I'm amateur today. Do you? And then they go, you played some stuff tonight that blew my mind. And you go, were you there? Did you yeah. hear what I, that, that junk I was serving up? Because I, I do that all the time. And to me, the gigs that I feel are off somehow connect more to the to the to the audience. I, have you ever found that? Yeah, I want to answer that with something I've been thinking about, which is, have you ever uh, have you ever thought about the difference between having a good gig and giving a good gig? Um. Yes. And to the way I would answer that, having a good gig is when you come up with a set list and when you're at the end of the night, everybody, their arms start growing longer and longer and they go like this and they go like that. And we had a great gig and you move on. Yeah. Giving a good gig is when the audience sits on their hands and goes. <laughs> And you either tuck tail and run, go, or I'm going to give these people the show of their lives, whether they realize it or not. That's the way I would look at it. Yeah, that's a really, I mean, man, how many thousands of hours went into you being able to answer it that profoundly? It's like. I, I, I don't know if it's thousands of hours. I think it's just sheer Italian spite. Let's go. Let's it's, go. Exactly. All right. So tell me about, like, here's what here's what I, I want to know, because I've had a lot of conversations with with, with people um, over the last three or four months 
Tell me how the onset pandemic is is affecting the way you're looking at your business and your touring and everything going forward. Yeah, so I mean, I think the things that really help navigate a lot of what's going on is if can you have something unique? Can you have logic and can you have empathy for the consumer? I think if you can have those three things be the the sales in which you operate on, you'll arrive at a nice island, more right. or less. And so I'm trying to do that in the best way we can. So um, we're doing live streaming efforts and right. uh, putting out more content. We put out we're putting out a record on August seventh on, on Cosmic Country Music. It'll be my independent release. And um, thank you. Yeah, right. inspired by you. Inspired by your. Uh, by your moves. Nobody, uh, nobody would sign me. That's why we went independent. I was, I was turned on by everyone. Even my mother wouldn't give me five dollars. <laughs> anyway, so, so, any plans going forward this year to do shows in front of actual people, or is it more? Are you shutting it down and doing a live stream? Well, my agent, uh, we are talking about it every week. He's like, well, we still have these booked. Do you want to do them? I'm like, well, let's not cancel them. But just in the past week, uh. I don't know if, I, if I'd feel right bringing anyone because it's only going to get. So I think right now my dad equates it to like there's a monster coming out of the ocean and like no one's seeing it. But there's this monster rising and it's it's with what's going on with the election. And it's like I think it's going to get even worse out there. Um, not just like data wise. It's also saying that as well. He has a uh, both my parents, if they were to get sick with uh, if they were to get coronavirus, it probably wouldn't be good. Right. Um, so I just couldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't yeah, I mean, ask somebody to come in a room. How about you? Well, our our optimistic goal is hopefully April, May of next year, depending on if there's a vaccine, depending on how this thing plays out. Maybe summer. I think right now it's an 80-20 percentage of 80% no April, May. I think it's 60-40 in the summer. In still in favor of, of, of no, and I think it's maybe a 50-50 for the fall of next year. Uh, the way it's scaling and the way things are 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 um, looking just the it's 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 like this you can't it's not not gonna go away if you just ignore it. And 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 the, the issue is is we're unfortunately in the worst possible position as musicians and entertainers, because we do inside mass gathering. You know, there are occasional outside shows, but right. nine, at least my, in my case, 99.9% .9 of them are inside. And you have to just go, listen, you know, whether people are willing to come out, they're not forced to come out, but even if they do go out and they get sick and then it starts, or God willing, you have set up a series of testing and stuff at the venue, which could be logistically challenging, but somebody else doesn't adhere to those things. And then the whole community gets shut, shut down again. It is just a disaster until there's a vaccine, until the, the consumer confidence comes back. That's the way we look at it, you know? Um, tell me this. I was reading your bio. Now, who... Yeah. Did a publicist write the bio? Because there is there is a term that I need you to, do, to define. It's at the very end of all the paragraphs. Yeah. Okay. What is a millennial world gig of fire? 
Yeah, absolutely. I looked that up in the Webster's. It's not in there yet. <laughs> that was a funny one. So that was, I, you know, I'm still learning how to, which you've done very well, which is surround yourself with a, a team of people who help make the entire vision of what you do very strong. And I'm at the embryonic stages of doing such a thing. And so this was the first bio where we went to a, a bio writer and we're like, well, let's get something. Let's talk on the phone for 30 minutes and distill some points down, then distill again. Right. And the main thing I wanted to get out there is um, I want people moving forward, which you've done a fantastic job of, which I feel like people like Marcus King, Billy Strings, and I now are, are privileged to have the opportunity to do, which is we cater to the generation of people who are, are my age and right. to make sure that they understand the value of guitar. So anything to say millennial. Anything, right. anything to let them know that, like, hey, I'm with you. I might like music right. that's from not now, right? Like, I don't listen right. to Kanye West, but right. like, I'm from the era where all that happened, and I'm with you. And so, again, it's just another way I want to identify with people and, and consumers and listeners to let them know where it's like. A lot of the times, people come to the shows when we're playing right now who are coming with a friend who knows me, but they don't know me, and they don't listen to country, they don't listen to jam band music, they but don't they know. Like yeah. But they like it. I think it's because it's touching on that probably thousands and thousands and thousands of year old analog connection, you know. It is. It is. Um, I Can was... I ask you a question? I'm sorry. Sure, I don't want to cut you off. Sure. So something I've experienced in this time often, which I wasn't expecting to experience, was I felt a couple times like I made the wrong choice. Okay. To play music. Okay. I wanted to know, have you ever felt fuck <laughs> was this the right idea music no profession yes that's what i mean that's what you i have mean. to make the there's a line of demarcation be between is. i still love music i still love it as much as i did when i was four professionally and i've been very lucky in my life it is it is if i was to go to a college and give a lecture about the music industry. Yeah. And when they would say, you know, my first my first suggestion is about the music industry is to run as far away from it as humanly possible. Unless you plan on taking a vow of what the fuck and poverty all at the same time. Okay. So the thing is I find I find it difficult you know, I, I've made peace months ago, which I understand that 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 when we sh we shut down in Milwaukee on a Tuesday night, I believe it was March 12th, this could be the last gig. This could be at least the last swan song in these kind of venues for me. And I could just be it could just just wash and whatever. And and I'm I'm fine with that because I've, I've done it for 31 years. I've made 44 albums. Um, I feel bad for the folks that that are just starting to scale and, and these folks like yourself, Marcus, Billy Strings, Molly Tuttle, who I think she's very talented. Uh, and and there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a real crop of, of, of young musicians that I feel inspired by because it reminds me of that fight that I had in the damn van 25 years ago you know, and that's why I was giving away gas cards because $500 gas cards meant something to somebody who needs to get from Nashville to Tulsa and back for a gig. Oh, yeah. So that's anyway, yeah. plus you can get, you know, whatever. so at the end of it all, I feel, I feel bad because this is going to, 
unless there's some smart pivoting, which I know you are and Marcus and all of the, the really clever about pivoting and keeping the name alive, I find it's, it's going to jettison some of the acts that, that were not in that position to survive the, 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 the tsunami, so to speak. I mean, do you, you know, do you wake up in the morning and go, you know what? An antique store in Montana doesn't sound so bad because I do it. I, I'm doing it Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays right now. Going, you know, sell jugs in Montana or Wyoming, <laughs> trout fish or something like that. A trout fish. It is my dream to have property in Montana. That's been in my since I was 16. I've wanted to live out there. Right. Um, I don't. I I thought about that a lot, and 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 that's fa I knew that you had at some point had some sort of blurred line stance. I think anyone who has marvelous success must. Um, so, but right now it's a little bit crazy. Uh, I have thought about, does the world need this right now? Cause we can't even, does the world need a new record? The answer is no. It's a, it's a commodity. And, it's a commodity. and to realize it's a commodity. that you're a commodity is hard. Yeah. Right. To realize you yourself, you, it's, a, it's, I guess it's an ego death of some sort where, to realize you yourself could go away tomorrow in a very, very small subject of, of the human race would truly care is real. Um, but that even, as, as I say it, and I've been saying it a lot lately, it, it also adds importance into what I do. And, I, and I, I realized I just had to, I had to acknowledge the fear and that actually helps me with it. I don't know how that affects you. Well, you know, I, I mean, I'll be the naysayer. I'm going to ask you a question that a, that 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 a, that a troll may may come back at you, and because they certainly come back at me with this kind of thing. And I always say, listen, I'm very lucky. And if it all goes away tomorrow, I had a good run. What, what am I supposed to do? I, I I applied myself. I was successful at it. Thank you very much. Good night. You know. Or not. Wow, it is that simple when you look at it from. That Thank you very far. much. Good night. Take a bow or not. Goodbye. <laughs> so here's here's like like the the uh, a contrarian. An internet contrarian is a, oh. a, a you know, politically correct term for a troll. Would say, um, "Well, look. I mean, look at you, Daniel. You know, you got a big profile. You got gigs. You got endorsements. You probably get free strings and picks. And like, look, you know, look what I got. And I, you know, I can play these things too. And and you know, what's your what's your take on it? It's like, it's like you earned everything. Do yes. you do? You, do you sit back and go, well, wait a minute, I earned all this and I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed, nor am I going to apologize for it. Is that, is that, is that the way you look at things or is it more like, well, I don't know why this happened. Oh gosh. I think it's both, right? Like for me to say that I know why everything's happened in my life would be silly. I think there's a lot of fun in saying you don't know. I, it, it takes right. a lot of uh, responsibility off your shoulders, which you needn't be carrying. And right. then also, you have to accept the fact that you've worked hard and put in the hours. Because I right. think if not, that's where people start getting imposter syndrome. And if you can't explain where you're at, you're just going to be perpetually lost at sea. You know, exactly. and I, I think if you're a creative person and you're intelligent and you're driven, that's not an easy uh, deck of a uh, hand of cards to receive in life. Yeah. Last question. What's your, favorite, what's your favorite rumor about yourself? Favorite rumor about myself is that I am worth $10.4 million. I like that. Yeah. And how did they come up with that number? I don't know. I don't know how they came up with that number. Wow. That's Last time I checked, it was 10.5, so I don't care.
Yeah, yeah, like like that's the true ego, right? Is when is when like celebrity net worth undervalues, you know, and then and then so you know because you know somebody's gonna write in and say, hey, listen, I'm actually worth more than that. But my favorite rumor about myself yeah. is my father. The only reason why I'm successful is because my father was worth hundreds of millions of dollars and 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 put twenty million dollars into my career. Yeah, right. My dad, my dad, his last job, he was, he, he was a cop for the state of New York. And he currently retired with my mom in, in Sonoma. And, and worth hundreds of millions? No, he is not. Yeah, right. um, so um, thank you, Daniel. This, you know, like, I, I, once again, I, 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 there are very few people that, that come along that go, holy crap, I better get my shit together. And, and ah. when I first heard you, you know, ripping on that, that, that green Telecaster, I was like, holy crap, you know, there is, there is, there is hope and, and getting to know you over the last years, a few years. Uh, I mean, I just think everything you do is very well thought out. It's Thank from you. the heart. And it's also to me, one of the most difficult things in a, in a very crowded field is you have your own lane. And wow. my hat's off to people that, that go, I'm going to get my own lane in this thing. And I don't care if you like it or not, but I'm at least over here. I'm not in the traffic jam on a way to a 4th of July picnic. Maybe not this year, but you know what I mean? It's, you know, back when, back when we could go out. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you. Uh, and, and congratulations on your surf box. I have, I have reverb and tremolo and envy, even though I shouldn't have any envy because I, I have a, you know, I have a hobbyist level collection, as you know, but, but I'm, 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 I'm thrilled to see you have a Soldano surf box back there. I, I put it there because I knew you didn't have one. So and I had, Danny, yeah, yeah. I had, <laughs> yeah, I'll the Danny Gatt shirt. Where'd you get that? Cause I saw my daughter. Ah, uh, Holly. Yeah. She sent it to me. That's it has the master of the telecaster on the back. Yes, it does. It's hard to see, but that's right. Yeah. I have he gave me um the first time I met him, this was eighty-nine. He gave me two shirts. Wow. Oh no, I'm sorry, he gave me one shirt and a copy of Unfinished Business that he signed. Oh. And when I played with him at Johnny D's in Boston, it was cold and I bought a sweatshirt from I from, from the merch. And uh, I still have the pics and everything in the pictures. The but, small uh, fender pics are cool pics. Yeah, and it says Danny Gatton special on them, and it's it's uh, it's one of those things where you know th there was a guy who who was became way more famous after he 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 passed than 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 he was in his own time. Because I remember playing gigs with him, literally, and in, in, you know there was three hundred people, four hundred people in New York City. That was his big gig. You know he'd play a lot around D.C., Virginia. All of a sudden, you know, five years, ten years after he passed, everybody goes, hey, have you ever heard of Danny Gannon? I'm like, where were you ten years ago? You know, and, you know, it's like, and there's some of those kind of cats out there that, 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 that are underappreciated in their own time. That was something I wanted to ask you, and, and let me know if we're going over time, but it could be fine. a quick answer. Uh, what you more so than, than anyone I've, I've ever come in contact with in regards to non-commercial success, You've been able to take that the the talent, the asset, and the, the hours of becoming a great musician and scale that in a business endeavor. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I don't hear enough musicians talking about, the, the game and, and the strategy to make it a business endeavor. It's a whole different thing to understand the Telecaster, but to understand how to, how to actually do that with tickets and bringing value to consumers. You just need to know... Thing. 
in the, the long and short of it, you need to know the second word music business. It is this, it is, it is the, the, the music business is one thing, you know, the music is one thing that, that is a, that, that is your life. That is your soul. That is what you feel. The business part of it is the marketing is, is how, how you present yourself, how you, you know, how, how the show is presented, how everything is presented. And it, and it becomes, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy after a while when you go, I really want to be playing these kind of venues. And like you said, Daniel Donato, 2023 at the Ryman, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm in. So it, it, it's like, you're going to get there because, because you say the words out loud. I wanted to play the Royal Royal. I said the words out loud in interviews to my parents, to my girlfriend. Yeah. I want to get there. I would walk by it in London when we were playing the borderline. Go one of these damn days. I'm going to get to these things. That's one of the, that's that's the that's the thing you have to understand about the music businesses because if you don't ask for, you don't promote yourself, you don't do any of that. Nobody's going to do it for you. Daniel, thank you very much for being here. Thank you. I, thank you. You're one of my favorite cats, and um, and. Uh, and uh, one of these days we'll, we'll, we'll be on stage together when there's people in front of the stage and we'll be like, remember the good old days? Or we'll be just be in the Smithsonian as, as relics of a bygone era. I like both. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thank you for watching live at Nerdville from Gotham City. This, I believe, will be one of the final broadcasts before I move it to Nashville. Thank you very much. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us.